The Lord be with you. And also with you. Let us pray. Many times have you, O Lord, our God, been our help in the time of need. Many times you have guarded us in danger and kept us from evil. Thanks and praise to you for your merciful kindness. Withdraw not your hand from us because of our sins, but remember your great mercy, and let your grace and help be with us at all times. Through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I invite you to turn in the scriptures to Psalm 146. And we are going to look at Psalm 146 together today. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. He remains faithful forever who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. Well, welcome everyone. This is Pastor Keeker, and I am sitting in the beautiful sanctuary of Trinity Lutheran Church in Clinton, Missouri, and I am joined here with Jeff Adams. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you. You have been practicing law longer than I've been alive. How many years? It'll be 26 years oh, in no. August. 26 years. So I'm a little bit older than 26. And um, But most people probably don't know you as a lawyer. I, I'm sure a lot of people do. Most people in our community might know you as Coach Adams. Is that what they call you, Coach Adams? The players do, yes. How long have you been coaching Probably started with my oldest son, Zachary, when he was four or five, in part because of Tim Comer, who asked me to assist with soccer, which I knew nothing about. <laughs> I was going to ask you if it was a requirement to know a lot of things about the sport to be a coach of that sport. No. So I could coach basketball. You could. My experience in soccer was park and rec I think when I was in sixth or seventh grade and that was the only time I played grew up the son of a football coach played football loved football thought both of my boys would be football players and both of them are soccer players did you win that first soccer game I think we did been winning ever since most of the time it helps when you have good athletes and yeah. Zachary and Marty Comer Tim son were both good soccer players and now you, you don't coach soccer anymore. 
I still, or do you? I still help uh, Kevin Griffey out at Clinton Christian Academy. He's, oh, okay. He's the head coach, but I'm the assistant to make sure that we get scoreboard on and try to get everybody in the game a little bit and help with any scheduling issues. See, I, I guess I knew that. I know that you're primarily you're the head basketball coach. Correct. At CCA, and you've been doing that for how long? Since they've opened, or no? They have been in existence, I think, for a little over 20 years. We started sports probably in 2008, and so I've been the basketball coach since then. So that's 12 years. Correct. Do you have uh, – I know you're, you're the least likely person to brag on yourself. You don't like it, but do you, do you know how many games you've won in your coaching career? I don't. I thought there was a article in the paper about like your 100th victory or something. The junior high program, which has been traditionally fifth through eighth grade, I think our record is 140 and 80 or something like that. Okay. And we just started high school a couple years ago, and this was the year, first year for varsity boys. And our varsity record this year was five and twenty. <laughs> okay. So you're you're chuckling, but when people ask me if coaches win or lose games, I often say that it helps to have athletes. I do believe coaches can lose games and not build good programs, but mm-hmm. we've won a lot of games, particularly at the middle school level, because we had a lot of good athletes. Mm-hmm. And we're trying to build the high school program, but it'll take some time. Yeah. So a year of uh, uh, patience and humility, frustration. It was at times frustrating this year. Yes. Yeah. First year. Well, when did you get the first win? Was it the first game? No, it was about eight or nine in. Okay, so O and O and eight, pretty dejected. Did you do you give great halftime speeches? No. <laughs> the the kids will often uh, imitate myself and my assistant, who is J.D. Manning. And we both have similar characteristics and traits, so they often will mimic us. And the fans, including my wife and J.D.'s wife, will laugh because we look similar on the bench. And <laughs> I've, I've tried all the speeches from the... The movies that I've seen, and most of them don't work very well. What do, have you found something that does work? What what puts the team in the victory column more than anything else? I wish I knew the answer to that. Obviously, at CCA, we try to uh, glorify God and try to point that out. That number one thing is to glorify God through your athletics, and I think that works. And I've seen it with coaching teams at CCA and coaching teams outside of CCA where we don't have that platform where different kids, different backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And most of the time at CCA, though we're not perfect, but most of the time we're pulling together for a common goal and it's fun to see that it works. Yeah. So you're the head coach of the middle school team and the varsity team and JV or no? Yeah. Yes. This year we actually was the first year we just had a varsity team. We didn't have enough for a JV. Okay. 
So we had a varsity team. We also had a middle school team, which was fifth through eighth grade. And we also had a fifth and sixth grade team. Now, that's about 18 to 20 kids who are playing on multiple teams. Okay. We all still small enough that we were able to practice together and coach all the games. So if you're a boy at CCA and you play basketball, you're going to be their coach. Hopefully. Yeah. I mean, no matter what grade they're in right now, Coach Adams is is there. So you got a full plate of basketball then. Yes. Yeah. So you said you said Tim Comer got you pulled into the whole coaching thing, but your love of coaching goes back deeper than this probably. Yes. Why did you get into coaching besides Tim? Man by the name of Tom Adams, who's my dad. I've heard you talk about your dad quite a bit. Um, and every it seems like every time your father comes up, it's uh, it revolves around coaching. And he coached, what did he coach? Primarily a football coach, but like most young coaches, he did track and baseball and basketball in his early days, but Football was primarily his love and um, came to Richmond where I grew up in the late 60s and coached for 20 plus years and taught there for over 40. Hmm. What do you think the main, like what do, what do kids get out of the, the sports? What's the main thing that you think your father passed on to you that drives you to pass on to the the 11-year-old out there throwing up free throws 100 times a day. Why? why? What's the driving force? Well, again, I think for him, it was the ability to influence young men, a lot of them who didn't have a good home life or someone that believed in them. And even for me at CCA, even though most of our kids have good Home wives, mm-hmm. uh, you can tell that they really appreciate someone that's interested in them. And you have all different skill levels. Some of my favorite players at CCA were not very good basketball players, but they worked hard. And you could see them improve. So that's what I'm trying to, to accomplish. And, you know, again, I, I love basketball and I love to coach and compete. So it's not all not all just giving for someone else I just enjoy it and I miss the competition from being an athlete and it's fun to match up and try to win a game mm-hmm. you find yourself missing sports right now in the midst of COVID-19 I do uh, watching it playing them coaching them what, what what do you miss more than anything I think I just miss going to the games and seeing the other kids and interaction and mm-hmm. seeing the parents in baseball. I don't coach baseball anymore, but just seeing that parent group and getting out and rooting on the Cardinals. The St. Louis Cardinals? Clinton Cardinals. Oh. <laughs> You're not a Cardinals fan. I'm a Royals fan, though. My dad and Father-in-law, Warner Mom, and Kim's dad are both big Cardinals fans, so I I respect the tradition. (laughs) 
<laughs> I knew I liked your dad. What's the connection with um, the St. Louis Cardinals broadcaster? John Rooney went to Richmond High School and would have been a student and a player for dad. And I think the last year when they actually won the state championship, 1971, I don't think John played, but he was already into radio broadcasting. Mm-hmm. And so him and uh, dad had a close relationship. And so periodically um, I make contact with John for some sort of donation to, mm-hmm. to CCA. So we keep in touch. My relationship with him is only through dad. Yeah. Yeah, but it seems like, I mean, I, I, because of your connection with him, I had the pleasure of getting to meet John Rooney a couple of times. And every time I met John Rooney, he mentions your father. So I know your, your father had a, a huge impact on him. And not only him, but certainly a, a lot of, uh, of men out there. And now through you, um, a lot more young men, even right here in the Clinton community. Um, since 2008, you've been coaching. What do you enjoy most, uh, being a lawyer or coaching? Probably still being a lawyer because I do it the majority of my time. I don't know that I'd want to coach full-time. Mm-hmm. Coaching is a great relief, stress reliever. Yeah, Those two hours or going to a game is, is a lot of fun. But those that do it for a, a profession, especially at a higher level, the, the stress um, is not something that I don't think I would enjoy full-time. Yeah. And even high school coaches are getting a lot of parental pressure and kid expectations, and it's, it's changed and it continues to change. So I am blessed to be at it at CCA. I think we're blessed to be in Clinton that we're mostly supportive of our coaches, but there's a lot of coaches not doing it anymore because of the parental pressure. Do you think it's harder to be a coach now than it was back in the 70s when your dad was coaching? I don't know. Yeah, it probably would be hard to know, wouldn't it? I, I did run across, after he passed away, a letter that he had wrote to a parent who was upset that his kid wasn't oh, okay. all-conference. So what happened back then? Yeah, it's always been around. And so he had to write the letter that explaining how the all-conference awards came down and how it's a team game. Hmm. So what um, you said... Being a lawyer actually gives you most joy. When when did that desire start in you to to become a lawyer? Because I've heard being a lawyer is no easy thing. I think I started becoming interested in, in part because I was dating Kim, my wife now, and her father, Warner Mottman, is a very uh, well-respected Christian attorney in Richmond. And so I knew and respected him as we started the date. And when I went to Boys State after my junior year, I wanted to get into the Highway Patrol Division. Didn't make it, and so I went to, quote, the law school. And so got some interest from that and thought that might be some way that I could uh, serve others and help others. Yeah. So I went to William Jewell and then actually got a degree in math and business management and then took the LSAT to go to law school at MU. And back then, if you had good grades and 
a little family support, it wasn't that hard to get in. And once you got in, they were going to do a pretty good job to make sure you graduated. Hmm. So it wasn't as difficult as other people think it is. Now I think it's a lot more difficult because you have a lot of second career attorneys and a lot of people can't get into law school to begin with. Okay. Which has changed. So you wanted to be a uh, highway patrol state trooper? They had, at least back then at Boys State, they had the program that you could go to. Okay. So they broke you off and that was the program that everybody at least in my grade, wanted to go do, and I didn't get in, so uh, I settled for law school. Okay, well, but before that, you, I'm following Jeff Adams' plans. I'm following the plans. So the plan was trooper, then it was a degree in business and math. For Why the degree? That interests me. Why the degree in business and in math? Well, I was going to William, William Jewell in the counselor basically a lot of people would take back then political science if you were going to be a lawyer yeah and I thought I wanted to get something a little more substantive than that in case I didn't go to law school so business management was kind of the approach and one skill that I have been given was a good math brain at least then. Okay. My dad was a math teacher and math came naturally. I was taking math for business management anyway, so I thought I'll just do a double major and get math. That makes sense. And and but then also you had Kim's father influencing you towards the lawyer side of things. Correct. Yes, a man you respected. Um, I find this I find it all interesting because in in Psalm 146 we we have this line about um, man's plans perishing. I've been thinking about that throughout the week as I as we read Psalm one forty six. It's verse. It's verse four. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth, and on that very day, his plans perish. And so, obviously, that verse is talking about death. Right when his breath departs and when he returns to the earth, um, from dust you are to dust you shall return. So we're talking about death, but then it's like we get this added detail um, that on the day that you die, your plans also die, the plans that you have for yourself. And so I want to have that conversation, but before we get to the death part of the psalm, I've just been thinking about all the times that, you, that our plans perish. You can still be alive and your plan <laughs> perishes, right? You wanted to be a trooper. I wanted to be a car mechanic whenever I was young. Okay. I don't know. That was just what I wanted to do. But then I realized um, I don't want to come home smelling like oil every day. <laughs> that was what my 13-year-old mind told me. You don't want to be stinky every day. So, so I changed my plans. And then my plan was to go into business. So I, you know, I managed a shoe store and I started majoring in business and I was going to get a master's in business. So here I am in the church. (laughs) So that plan perished too. So you've had a few, you've had a few plans perish as well. Yes. 
Yeah, I was thinking on verse 4 about James where it talks about you're a vapor in the wind. Mm. And, you know, some of the missed language regarding just our lives, how quickly things can change. Yeah. Yeah. The grass withers. The flower fades. Um, it all perishes. So I was, I've, I've been thinking about what... There's a lot of people right now this is what coronavirus has done to a lot of people. If these, if this was everyone's plans like eight weeks ago, they've been like just thrown up in the air. Right? Like plans have been scattered. Everyone's un, a lot of people I talk to are unsettled. You know, what am I going to do? Even my day to day routine has been changed, and trying to find a new routine or a new plan is difficult right now. I mean, everyone from the college student who was planning on graduating and looking to land a job, and now that's up in the air. I mean, the job market is a completely different environment than it was a couple of months ago. To, um, to the widow who's at home and who used to be able to come freely to gatherings, and now they're stuck at home. Yeah, everyone's plans have changed and are changing rapidly. And so I've been thinking, Jeff, what's, what's my plan? What's the thing that I'm going to do now? Knowing that that plan will perish, but still have a plan. Proverbs 16, 9, it, it says something like, uh, the heart of man plans his steps, but it's the Lord who establishes the way or something like that. You know, so we're always planning. We're, we can't help but plan. you have any plans, what your plans are? Well, I think like everybody else, at least the media plans for the summer have been put on hold or changed. Yeah. And the lawyer standpoint, where courts are shut down, so we're waiting anxiously to see how they open back up and in what format, knowing there's going to be a log jam of cases and activities. So we're continuing to try to do the daily work to be ready when courts open back up and are still able to do most things for the clients, but mm -hmm. there's a lot of unknowns. So you're still planning as a lawyer to take care of your clients? Yes. It just the way you're taking care of your clients has changed because you can't actually meet in court. Correct. And some clients aren't comfortable meeting face to face yet. Yeah. I think that's important because the, the underlying, the thing that never changes for a good lawyer, correct me if I'm wrong because I'm not a lawyer, but that thing that doesn't change is your care for the client. That was, that's the same as it was eight weeks ago um, as it is today. That hasn't changed. But the mechanisms of that have uh, drastically. How do you care for the client when there's all these other things that have been thrown up in the air? Correct. And that was 
another thing that drew me to be an attorney, especially in a, a town where I could have a little control of the type of work that I was doing, was to be able to be a counselor. That I did not want to work in St. Louis or Kansas City where someone else was telling me the type of work that I had to do or how many hours I needed to put in if I wanted to be able to help someone out or try to counsel them or give them advice, that's what I wanted to be able to do. I share that same longing in my profession. One of the plans as a pastor is to care for to care for the flock, to care for the people here at Trinity Lutheran Church and that also the mechanisms of that have changed. I wasn't doing this eight weeks ago every week. Um, but that, but it's the same plan. So I could, I could only come up with two things that, that of my plans that I have as I, as I think about, you know, what is my plan? And those two things essentially are um, take care of my family and help take care of the church. And those plans won't change how I go about caring for my family and how I go about caring for the church and serving them both, those things are changing all the time, I mean, minute by minute. It's, you know, yesterday we're trying to train McKenzie on, we're doing potty training right now. So yesterday was a different day at the house compared to two weeks ago when we weren't potty training you know there's a lot more changing of the diapers two weeks ago and now there's a lot more time just sitting right next to her on the toilet reading her books right but it's the same care I care so caring for the family and caring for the church those are my plans but psalm 146 verse 4 reminds me that when i die those plans perish When I die, I will no longer be able to care for my family. I'll no longer care for this church. And when that happens, you know, I, I'm, I want to care for my wife, care for my children, and if the Lord allows it, help love on my children's children. I mean, these are all my plans. But when I die, because it's not a question of if, right? When I die, who will take care of them then? Who, who will care for my wife? Who will care for my children? Well, the one who made heaven and earth. Yes. The one who made the sea and the one who keeps faith forever. The Lord sets the prisoners free. He opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up, up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous, and the Lord watches over them. Over the sojourners, he upholds the widow and the fatherless. Right there would be my wife and my children. The way of the wicked, he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. The Lord will watch over him. He watches over them now, right? But he, he uses people to care for his people. Just like he uses a lawyer to care for 
his clients. And so all of that causes us to praise God. He's the one who'll watch over my family. He's the one who, after all my plans perish and I am no more, yet I will be praising the Lord forever because he's the one who will be taking care of them. And I'm thankful for that. Can't be in better hands than him. Amen. Okay, so Jeff, there's another verse I wanted to ask you about. Verse 3. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. Maybe we should have tackled that one first because we're talking about when his breath departs, he returns to the earth, and on that very day, his plans perish. Okay, so don't put your trust in man. Easy. <laughs> You're grimacing. <laughs> well, I was just thinking about that from the lawyer's standpoint about how we wait or trust on a, the judge or the court to rule. And even now, I've got a case where a very important motion is pending, mm-hmm. which we've argued before the judge. I thought I had a read on how the judge was going to rule. thought he was going to rule quickly, and now silence from the court. So I'm waiting for the, the judge to rule on this important motion. But ultimately, his decision is not going to change my life or my client's life or lead to any type of obviously no no salvation or anything that brings riches or glory right um so it's i'm still anxious for the ruling but Mm -hmm. i can't put my trust in the court system or the government yeah Especially with the COVID-19, I mean, we all spend too much time on social media, but now I, mm-hmm. when I go onto social media, it knows what article that I read, so now I, all I get is the article upon article. And so when I go onto social media, then I'm looking for that report or study or analysis or statement that is going to, quote, put things back to normal mm-hmm. instead of going to the Lord in in prayer and knowing who's ultimately in charge. You know, the gospel reading that's paired with this psalm this Sunday is is John 14, 1, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus says, and when when I I think about those words and what you just said about social media, it's no coincidence why these two words are laid before our hearts this Sunday about don't put your trust in princes and also don't let your hearts be troubled because what the heart quickly becomes troubled when I'm on social media and I'm reading those reports too and the surveys and the, you know, what is it about that device that knows exactly what you want to read and puts it right before your eyes and so you have to read it but then by the time you get done reading it you're left with more anxiety more fear more of a troubled heart and the lord 
knows that. He's looking at his disciples and he knows that. And he, he's telling them ahead of time because he cares for them. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in me. And so it's his way of trying to give us comfort. I mean, it's the, some say that this was a sermon that he preached too soon because he preaches it right after telling his disciples that he was going to be betrayed and he was going to be crucified and dead. And the disciples, they're, they're with him. So they, they're fine. Everything's fine, Jeff. The motion's been made. You know, everything's good. There's no, there's no eagerness, no anxiousness there. And he gives them this sermon, don't let your hearts be troubled. And they're looking at each other like, what's he even talking about? Of course we're not troubled. We have you. you know, we have everything that we need. And then he dies. And now the whole world is flipped upside down. And their plans... Psh, up in the air but he told them those words so that they would have them when he was gone don't let your hearts be troubled but you know some scholars say that's when jesus should have told them the sermon right then you know but he cares for us so much that that's that's precisely why he gives us the words that we need ahead of time um and he's he's given us these words even now um so that during during the times of COVID-19, during the times where the motion's up in the air and you don't know how the judge is going to rule, we remember, don't put your trust in princes. The judge will rule and that plan will be for a time and then it'll fade. It'll perish too. But I was going to ask you this as a lawyer and I'm glad you, you went to yourself because that's a question you could probably answer better than this one, but I was going to ask you if you found that your clients sometimes are putting their trust in you as a lawyer. Can you sense that? A little bit. I mean, I think there's a perception, and you mentioned it earlier, that somehow getting a law degree was some great educational achievement. It's not easy. I didn't say it was easy, but... I think people believe that lawyers are smarter than lawyers are or I believe that you're very have, smart <laughs> have to know everything or have the ability to know everything and again I look at it as a counselor advisor that hopefully when the client comes in they've got an expectation of what they want to do or how they're going to do it I can help put that in the appropriate legal uh, document or help them get their case presented but you're right, you do have clients that come in and say, here it is, I need you to get me out of this or get a deal done or win this case. And that just doesn't work because the attorney's not able, in my opinion, to do that without the help of the client. Mm. Yeah, because those expectations are impossible to meet. Correct. Because essentially those expectations are the expectations that only God can fulfill. And if and if they're only if they're things that only God can do, there's no way I'm going to be able to meet them. It goes back to the coaches. Give me a good team, I'm going to win some games. Give me some good facts. Give me a good argument legally. I can probably help you quote win the case or get the result that you want. Hmm. Bring me a case that's not very good. It's going to be hard to <laughs> not a, can't just make up facts. Facts are what they are. Got to present the facts. Law is what it is. 
and makes it difficult to get the result that the client wants. Mm. So, so that's why it's important, I think, to be able to have that relationship with the client early on to tell them what you think. And that's kind of my personality anyway. Some people like the bulldog attorney who's gung-ho, we're going to win at all costs, and if we don't win, it's the judge's fault or the jury's fault or mm. someone else's fault. The referee's fault. Correct. Mm-hmm. And so I try to be up front when I can to say, here's the problems, and mm. recommend maybe not even pursuing the case or tell them if we pursue it, here's the risk and benefits. Mm. I can't help but think about our relationship with God as you talk about that. Um, you know, the pe- people the people who come to a lawyer who know they have a losing case but they're looking they're looking to you to get them this like miraculous win um it's unsettling to, in your shoes right because you know the facts there's there's no way <laughs> but that person is unsettled because that person believes even though they know that they can't win they believe that they can win still somehow as long as you do it for them right and i that describes a lot of my daily relationship with god because i mean you name it i think everything that troubles me i could trace it back to i've placed my trust in the wrong place I'm trusting in something other than him. And any time I'm putting my trust in something other than the Lord, I'm going to be troubled. It's, it's impossible not to be. And so it's, you know, there's a thousand things that trouble me, um, and the Lord does not desire that. But I keep going to the Father like these clients come to a lawyer and it's like, look, I know I got a losing case, but can you just make this work? This just this one time, make it work for me. You know, I want my cake and I want to eat it too. Just one time. And then when he doesn't, whose fault is it? It's not my fault. It's, it, it's the Lord's fault. Why haven't you done this? Or why did you do that? And, it, and then you get stuck in that anger and that confusion, that unsettledness, um, the, same, the same one the disciples feel during those three days. And so they do what every single one of us does. Uh, they run into the room and, and they hide themselves because they're filled with fear. Don't put your trust in princes. Um, their plans are gonna perish. Easier said than done. Very difficult to do. Yeah. And the social media is very good at putting in front of us princes or man, the charts, the surveys, and you know, and all these things are helpful to know, but they won't deliver us. I just got a weird sense of like not feeling in control anymore, Jeff. <laughs> It's a troubling feeling. We're not in control. Yeah, and again, the, the, the COVID, I think, is 
at least for our family, something that's really first time for at least my kids that I'm not in control. And it's put amazing burdens on them, from high school to the college students, about what the future holds. And I don't remember having those type of issues when I was that age. Mm-mm. They're and experiencing it, something far different than any of us experienced. And as a parent, you want to be, quote, in control or try to control things and protect them and guide them. And all we can do is just look to the Lord for our protection. Yeah, that is, a, I think that's another way to describe a plan that perishes is you're not in control anymore. So you had the plan, you're in the driver's seat, I'm doing. I'm going this way, and then all of a sudden that way dies. And now I am completely lost on what to do. And there's a lot of people, um, myself included at times, I don't know what to do. That's why I think thinking about our plans is, is helpful because the plans of the Lord, our, our plans, man's plans perish, but the plans of the Lord don't perish. That's why the psalm ends with the Lord will reign forever. And also I like it says in verse 6, he keeps faith forever. Uh, his plans never change and his plans remain forever, even when you and I's plans perish. So it's okay to have plans thrown up in the air, I think, for us. It's not about our plans anyways. And if anything, this is teaching us something about how important we can see ourselves. Like, I'm, I'm just thinking of the plans in my life where I thought, if I don't have this, if I don't get this done, I'm a complete failure and I have nothing. Whenever I was in college and I had my plan for business and the Lord totally just wrecked that. And I was, at, I was you know, experiencing my plans perishing and I felt this just this nagging pull I could not get away from to go into the, to the ministry. I couldn't get away from it. And I'm dating Alyssa, and I realize if I'm going to be a pastor, then, then she's got to be like the perfect pastor's wife. So this is my plan. I'm, I, I'm, I need a woman who will measure up my expectations. You got to meet this, you know, thing that I... I had in my head, and uh, so then as I held her that high bar, if there was ever anything that didn't meet that high bar, I thought, You're, this is going to totally wreck my plans. And I remember, so we went to talk to my pastor, and I'm sharing this with our pastor in college um, because we were engaged, uh, I don't know if we were engaged, but we were having very serious conversations. And I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, I think you're turning the ministry into an idol. And I said, how can, how can you do that? The ministry is God's work. 
said you're you're turning it into an idol. You're putting your trust in your job. And everyone else is revolving around it. And that smacked me in the face because I realized the unsettledness that I was having was because of my own lack of trust in God. Like I was in control. I had to, I had to get everyone else around me to meet a certain expectation. And by them not meeting that expectation, I was wrecking them. I was wrecking myself. Um, that's what happens to a person's heart when you're, whatever it is, becomes your God. And for me, it was the job of a pastor. Um, those plans will perish too. And the people don't need me. The Lord will care for them, right? Um, and Alyssa doesn't need to be a perfect pastor's wife, but I think she is actually. <laughs> She's actually really great at it. But she doesn't have to be. Well, she can't be. Right. Just, I can't be the perfect pastor. Yeah, it's hard to... My issue is control because being an attorney means you're at least making the decisions as to the case. So you're in control. And that's what I enjoyed about being an attorney is if the case is going to be successful, at least I'm in charge of making the decisions, especially at a smaller firm. Mm-hmm. So when you can't be in control of things in life then it's difficult because we spend a lot of time thinking about ourselves and what's best for us and a lot of pride issues that we all struggle with. Do you enjoy flying? No. Is For what reason? Not being in control. Yeah, that is total lack of control. You're in there. You're 35,000 feet up in the air, and you've got no control over getting to your destination. <laughs> my brother-in-law is a pilot for UPS. Okay. One of my best friends is Jeff Lowe, who is a very good pilot. Mm -hmm. Both of them have offered to take me up numerous times, and I've said no. Mm -hmm. The family laughs because if we can drive somewhere, we're going to drive. And Yeah. I've just never enjoyed being in the back of the plane, not having any idea what's coming, even though I know it's safer than driving. But I just don't enjoy it. Because of that lack of control. That's what's unenjoyable about it. Yes. Yeah. I know that it's safe, safest form of travel, and it's better than getting in a car when I'm tired and driving. Mm -hmm. Get us there quicker. Right. But I still drive most of the time. That's telling, because we would, because you're not. I mean, this is this is the human nature. We would rather be in control, knowing that we're more likely to die, than to not be in control, knowing that we would be less likely to die. Correct. Yeah. So control is more important than almost anything. I mean, it's, it's, the, it's the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden. Correct. They seized that apple because they wanted control. They wanted to know the good and the evil so they could be like God. 
and that was better than life itself. So we're no different than Adam and Eve. I think the thing, the medicine for that, and maybe the message I have for this week is your plans will perish. And that's actually a good thing because it's the Lord who has always reigned and will always continue to reign. And he's actually the one who you want taking care of all the people in your life who you've been spending so much time trying to take care of, right? Because at the end of the day, you can't. But he, he can and he will. So while the plans are perishing all around us, um, maybe it's a good thing. Bringing it back to my dad for a moment, I remember, I think we were driving to my grandma's funeral. And he said something like, be there. And I didn't really know what he was saying, but basically what he was saying was be there at the end. That is, keep the faith. Mm. That's what he could leave me. And it was his way of saying at that moment, I was younger, but that this is what is important. This is what I can leave you. And on a coach's salary, I'm not going to leave you a lot of money. But I can show you the way that a Christian man and father and coach should be and be there at the end. Be there. I like that. It's the words of Jesus. Believe in me. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Yeah, and I liked um, your father's right. The, the, the best thing that we can pass on to our children is the faith. Be there. As St. Paul says, I fought the good fight. Finished the race. Be there. Because you know who's there. The one who reigns over everything. <laughs> praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Anything else, Jeff, that jumped out at you? No, I spent a little time thinking about what praise was. And some of the studies I looked at talked about, you know, the things that we normally think about, worship, glorify, but it also talked about just confessing or leaving the, or living the faith. So, yeah, that sometimes we think about praise as we have to be, you know, in church or mm -hmm. somewhere, but just the act of today I'm going to go to work and confess God either by my actions or attitude or maybe you know actually speak some scripture but even if I don't do that because hopefully people know that you're a Christian and you're acting this way that you are confessing what you believe mm. 
yeah, there's a lot of elements to, to praising the Lord. I think, you know, it also just looks like trusting when, when we trust him rather than our own plans. He is being praised in that. Um, and we all have our the seasons in our life where that gets tested um sharpened might be a better word molded um, for me right now it's you know you brought up your father i'll bring up my son uh creed has been a year almost a year and a half of trusting the lord and, you know, when we first found out his diagnosis, they, they say people react in two very different ways when you're out of control or when you lose control. Not out of control, but when you lose control. Um, some people start grasping for control at, you know, no matter the cost. So they start, they start reading everything they can, start researching everything they can, start WebMDing, Googling, you know, looking up, trying to figure it out myself. And then other people don't do any of that. They just shut it down and completely trust whatever their doctor said. And they don't look at anything. That was Alyssa. And the former was me. I, I, was, I was Googling everything, you know, bladder outlet obstruction and chronic kidney disease and, you know, all of that, trying to get control. And... Um, it's, it's no different. You get all the facts you want and you're still left with a hole. It doesn't fill the void. In fact, it creates a bigger one. And there's, there were numerous times in the ultrasound room or in that doctor's office with either the genetics doctor or the surgeon or well, we met a dozens of different doctors in our journey and there were multiple times where I my heart dropped into my stomach and you I felt that utter lack of control and no you want to do anything you can to help your child but there's nothing you can do and that's unsettling um and yet, even despite all of my wantonness and searching and grasping, the Lord continues to take care of him. He's six months old now. Um, he, he's alive, and the Lord will... I'm telling myself this because I need to hear it. The Lord will reign over him forever. Um, and that's true for all of our children. Even for those who've buried their own children or their father. The Lord reigns over them. And he's the God of the living, not the dead. Amen. 
So praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. Yes. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and give you peace. Amen. Amen. Christ sits at God's right hand, his saving work complete, to reign till every foe will lie beneath his feet. All that the Father planned, the Son sought to fulfill. When first he said, Lord, here am I to do your will. Christ's altar was the tree whereon the world's behalf he shed a blood unlike the blood of goat or calf to seal God's guarantee of grace that cannot fail. With blood he entered for our good behind the veil. All praise to Christ we bring, our Lord who intercedes, our great high priest enthroned above who knows our needs. And to the Father sing, our songs of thankful praise, who with the Spirit reigns in love for endless days.